Thank you for joining us with, for another episode of the Global Business Alliance's Trade Policy Podcast. I am pleased to be joined this month by Cleet Williams from Aiken Gump. Cleet is a former official with the NEC, has a lot of experience at the WTO, and also served on the Hill for a number of years. So, Cleet, thank you for joining us. It's it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks. So, on this episode, we thought that we would talk all things China. Obviously, China has been the uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room in, on trade policy for a number of years now. We've transitioned over from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. There's a lot of open questions as to how um, trade policy with China is going to change under the new administration and to what uh, extent geopolitical considerations will, will influence trade-specific policy and how these things are all interlinked. So, Clee, uh, I'd like to turn it to you real quick and, and to talk generally about the President Biden's tr uh, trade policy with China, what we can expect and how it might differ from his predecessor. Sure, and that's that's a great place to start. And, and I would say, I think we're at the stage of the Biden administration roughly 100 days in, where, where people are starting to realize that they didn't already, that there's going to be more continuity uh, than there are going to be changes when it comes uh, to the approach uh, with China. And, uh, you know, Pre uh, President Biden during the campaign and now in the office has really kept up uh, both the tough rhetoric on China and has maintained uh, most of the actions that uh, his predecessor, President Trump, put in place. And so I think the, the, the general theme here is one of continuity, but there are at least four very specific comments that the Biden administration has made when they're talking about China, uh, where they articulate how they think their policy is different. And let me just quickly uh, outline those. Uh, the first one is that the Biden administration talks a lot and is executing on it. I, I will give them credit. Um, they are really doing what they've said they're going to do, and they're they're executing on on, on the first policy, which is uh, to focus at home, and really to focus on strengthening core U.S. domestic industries so that they're better positioned to compete with China. And I know that we'll get into this a little bit later, but of course, uh, the the legislative effort underway on China is really a core part of that along with the supply chain review that the Biden administration is, is conducting. Um, the second point that the Biden administration has consistently made is that they want to coordinate better with allies. They want to try to set aside their differences with allies so that they can work better on China. And I think you've already seen uh, that policy coming into focus uh, with the European Union. There have been a lot of efforts to try to resolve disputes with the European Union. You saw the, um, the the temporary elimination of the tariffs that were put in place related to Boeing and Airbus. Uh, you see them coordinating on sanctions for Xinjiang, and, and, and that is clearly a big part of their strategy. I think this will be a difficult one to execute because it is gonna require Europe uh, to show flexibility on, on certain issues, to show ambition on China. Um, but certainly um, this is a, a core part of their strategy that they differentiate um, from, from the Trump administration. The third part uh, that I would mention is just a greater focus on the geopolitical, national security, foreign policy type issues. And I think the Trump administration probably did more than they got credit for uh, behind the scenes when it came to, you know, dealing with the Xinjiang issue, uh, promoting uh, human rights and sticking up for Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, but it's now much more part of the focus of the rhetoric that you hear from President Biden and a lot of the efforts that you hear um, in the interagency. 
And and really, those are three of the big ones, you know, that I mentioned: Xinjiang, Hong Kong, and um, and Taiwan. But it's really just more of a focus on, on on national security and foreign policy issues, and less of a focus on on, on trade itself. And what you hear the Biden administration saying is, you know what, we want to we want to shore up our domestic economy. We want to shore up relationships with allies. And we really want to try to maintain the moral high ground on these human rights issues. And once we do all that, then we're going to turn uh, more clearly to the economic issues. And then the last point I'd make is, is the, the fourth thing that the Biden administration talks about, that they differentiate themselves from the Trump administration, is seeking pockets of cooperation with China. And, and trying to find areas where they can work together, notwithstanding all of their other differences. And one of the big things there, of course, and very timely um, for, for this podcast, is uh, the climate summit this week, where notwithstanding all of our frictions on forced technology transfer and human rights and everything else, um, the United States is endeavoring to try to work with China to deal with some of these uh, broader geopolitical issues as it relates to, to climate. Uh, so hopefully that's a helpful sort of overview. But like I said, it's continuity uh, with these nuances um, that that I mentioned. Yeah, thank you for that, Clayton. It, it's really striking just the the range of areas of interaction, the number of fronts on the battlefield, for for lack of a better analogy here. And so one of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to drill down a little bit further on is potential legislative responses that are coming. And I know Leader Schumer in the Senate has has made it very clear that he intends to highlight China policy and hopefully work in a bipartisan fashion towards a comprehensive China policy bill or series of bills over the next few months and, and into early summer. So I wanted to get your take on what is coming legislatively. I know we've seen some some committees seem to be further along than others. You know, we'll talk about the Strategic Competition Act coming out of Foreign Relations, the Endless Frontiers Act coming out of Commerce. But starting off with your general feel on how these things are going to come together, what's our timeline sure. and potential political potholes? Sure. Well, look, I, I do think this is a, a an effort that has some promise. Um, as, as, as difficult of, of a moment as we are in in Washington in the sense that there's not a lot of bipartisanship um, in the halls of Congress. You know, China and, and, and trade issues is, is actually one area where the parties have, uh, you know, managed to see eye to eye um, and may really have a chance to, to work together and, and get something done. Um, now, this is, that said, um, there still are some, some serious political uh, you know, potholes that need to be avoided. And, you know, this is a very fluid situation. Um, what we know is this. I mean, uh, the, the majority leader, Senator Schumer, you know, indicated that he wanted to bring a big China package to the floor. Uh, his initial time frame was, was April. Uh, certainly, it looks like that's going to slip quite a bit. Uh, and I think a more realistic time frame is probably somewhere in the month of May. Um, but what he basically is, is, is trying to do is he has instructed eight of his committees uh, to put together um, legislation on China um, that would ultimately be combined on the floor and and really focus more than anything on on on, on trying to strengthen uh, the U.S. domestic economy um, so it's it's best positioned to compete with China in all these areas and all these critical technology areas. Um, now, of course, Senator Schumer has also said that um, there could potentially be an open amendment process and each committee is gonna be holding hearings and markups. So it could end up deviating from that somewhat. 
uh, and, and really could include a whole bunch of different things. But that's sort of the, the primary focus. And it's a, it's a bill called the Endless Frontier Act that's intended, I think, really to be the centerpiece of this effort, a legislation that helps um, create a new director at the National Science Foundation to focus on 10 next generation technologies, things like AI, quantum computing, synthetic biology. Um, they're also looking at funding um, for areas like the semiconductor industry that are that are really important. But that's the centerpiece. And then we've got eight you know, different committees who potentially have a piece of this. Um, before I sort of drill down into what each committee is doing, let me just say, I mean, in terms of the outlook, First, just given the scope of this, I think the timing is slower than predicted. And 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 I do think that if anything gets done in the Senate, it's probably going to be, um, you know, into the month of May, maybe even late May. The House really hasn't yet said what it's going to do on this package. So, you know, we could be a ways away from from potential enactment. But I think there's still really an open question of despite the bipartisan nature of the issue, can we keep the package bipartisan? Mm-hmm. And I think that a couple things are going on. I mean, the first is, I mean, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, you know, there's just been, it, it has been a somewhat dysfunctional, non-cooperative um, Congress so far. They have not been working together. And and I think there's a lot of mistrust there. And, and you already hear grumbling from Republicans about the process on this bill. And so it's an open question, can they keep that together? And then I think the other thing you hear on the Republican side is is concern about the level of spending um, not necessarily that, that folks don't think we need to invest more to deal uh, to, to better compete with China, but questions about how it's being done and questions about the fact that it's coming on the heels of the huge COVID relief package, questions about the fact that some people see it as tied into Biden's infrastructure package and therefore is all this, you know, raises the question of whether all this extra spending, you know, is, is ultimately funded by tax increases. So that really is the rub, I think, for Republicans. Um, I'm I'm an optimist, and I also I just think this issue is too important, um, and I do think they'll ultimately find a way to get there. But I do think there's going to be a little bit of back and forth, and and that the Democrats are really going to have to work hard um, to to get bipartisan buy-in. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also say I think even even the May timeline for the Senate is ambitious. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> I said best case scenario. Yes, yes, I know. But, uh, man, I I, I miss when. Um, any best case scenarios actually coming through. So anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting. It's, a, it's obviously a very wide package. You already mentioned, uh, you know, the Endless Frontiers Act and, and what's happening there. Uh, there's also uh, the, the Strategic Competition Act. I was just going to ask if there was anything more that, uh, that you think is notable for inbound companies um, that you'd like to highlight there. Yeah, well, well, first, again, the Endless Frontiers Act, as I mentioned, really, I, I think folks see is sort of the centerpiece of this, and that really is about more domestic investment in, in strategic industries. The, the the big open question on endless frontiers, I think, is whether it's going to look like last year's package or whether it's going to have a whole other title um, that 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 deals with the Department of Commerce. And mm-hmm. you know, the original the original bill focused on the National Science Foundation, um, but after Biden introduced his infrastructure plan, there was some talk about an element of that proposal, which was to create a new, um, you know, I can't remember the night name of it, but it's sort of a technology directorate in the Department of Commerce that would deal with supply chains for critical technologies. And I think that's a little more controversial, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in nature. And so we should find out soon whether they kept those two together or, or whether it's one and the same. Um, the, the, the foreign relations piece 
you know, again, incredibly broad ranging. And, you know, it is something um, I think we're, you know, 290 pages. A lot of us are, are still digesting all the provisions. Um, but I mean, some of the more notable aspects of this, you know, are that there's, you know, there, there, there is a, a section in there that talks about moving supply chains, um, you know, out of China um, into the United States. Uh, there are sections in there that talks about, you know, creating um, a new division at the State Department to coordinate with allies and partners on digital issues. Um, one section that I like is there's a section about creating infrastructure financing standards um, in, in international institutions to make sure, you know, projects like Belt and Road are actually transparently funded, that they're, you know, using sustainable uh, standards and, and things of that nature. Um, there, one of the provisions I think some companies or, or at least universities, you know, have been concerned about is there is a provision um, that would allow for the government to review investments and, and donations that foreign governments make to universities. I think mm -hmm. that may be a more controversial element of, of the plan. And then there's a whole range of other things on, you know, um, on defense coordination and working with allies. Um, and, and there's even a little bit of peace on, on Xinjiang, but it's, you know, it's a huge bill. Um, I probably couldn't, uh, you know, go through all the provisions even in this sure. entire podcast, but hopefully that, that, that whets the appetite a little bit. Yeah, no, that, that's very helpful. I mean, you mentioned the, the potential restrictions on investments into universities. I think that that's actually going to expand CFIUS, like CFIUS would be handling that. That's it's, correct. It would be a CFIUS expansion. Right. So um, there, there's obvious questions like what does that mean for the rest of CFIUS's work? Is there is there money here for, for the expansion? So just administrative problems and so forth moving forward. And that's obviously, you know, CFIUS is something that GBA works closely on and, and will be tracking very closely. Um, well, that's forward. a great point. And, and obviously, anytime you sort of get something like that in there, you know, then it raises the questions about, you know, do people want to add additional amendments for those kinds of things, you know, for CFIUS more broadly? Right. Uh, who knows where we go? But at least so far, the draft, you know, has, 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 you know, only focused on that particular issue. Right. Yeah. So and, and you know, you mentioned possible amendments, uh, if there's going to be amendments moving forward. Obviously, other, you know, members have a, a wide array of a smorgasbord of, of China facing policies that they would like to see hitch a ride here. Um, you know, I know we recently saw a Brown Portman bill uh, eliminating global market distortions to protect American jobs at that 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 might hitch here. We don't know if it will or not. I just wanted to get your thoughts on on anything else that's out there that we might want to look for that that could be part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, look, it's <laughs> um, the number of China bills, I think, being introduced in this Congress is, is, is uh, you know, in the hundreds, if not thousands. So, I mean, there's a ton to, to keep an eye on especially if they do, as, as we mentioned, go ahead with an open amendment process. But I think, you know, Brown-Portman, uh, Brown obviously, which which tries to strengthen um, U.S. trade remedy laws uh, to avoid, um, you know, having to do multiple investigations on, on, on similar products, um, what some people describe as the, the whack-a-mole situation uh, mm -hmm. where, where, where producers sort of move um, production around to different countries. You know, you also have an interesting element in there, uh, which is sort of third country um, subsidization, where basically like China through its Belt and Road uh, will fund um, projects in, in, in third countries. And then those, um, you know, projects end up, um, you know, resulting in imports into the United States. That's something Europe has been looking at as well. So I think that's a, an interesting aspect to it. You know, you've also got 
um, you know, the Forced Labor Prevention Act stuff um, that, you know, Senator Rubio has been pushing. Right. Uh, and, and the Foreign Relations Committee has been looking at, you know, that's not in their bill right now. I think it is, you know, possible that it moves standalone. But again, when you get on the, on the Senate floor, you know, almost anything can happen here. Uh, so I think that's worth watching. But then, you know, beyond, you know, we've really focused, I think, so far, you know, on um, on two committees. You know, we focus on commerce and the endless frontiers piece, and we focused on um, you know, Senate for Foreign Relations and the Strategic um you know, act peace, but there's a lot more, you know, that a lot of other committees are doing. Um, you know, you've got the appropriations committee where you've got potential semiconductor funding. There's also, you know, chatter about, you know, funding for um, the USA Telecom Act, which was dealt with 5G. Then you look at finance committee, which of course has jurisdiction over trade. You know, one of the provisions that 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 I'm watching closely there is is an outbound investment screening provision, uh, which would allow, you know, USTR to actually look at investments that um, U.S. companies make in 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 critical uh, right. sectors in China. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's on the table. I, you know, I, I think there are some concerns about that kind of policy. But you know, finance can can do a lot. You know, they can look at the, the 301 exception process. Um, they can look at trade agreements. And they can look at a whole lot, bunch of things related to China. And do, do you want to sort of deal with WTO reform issues? And then, I mean, look, and then we, we can, the list goes on. Uh, like I said, I, I could, <laughs> I could yeah. give you tons of examples of bills, but those are some of the things that I think I'm, I'm most focused on. I think we'll right. have to see as this evolves. Yeah, th- thanks for that. And thanks for highlighting the uh, the outbound investment piece. I mean, this is almost like a reverse CFIUS reviewing investments leaving the U.S. into um, sensitive areas such as China. And I, I know that we will want to track that um, very closely to ensure That's that That's right. And, and, and I will say, I mean, this is an area I'm personally concerned about. You know, I do think that this gets into one of these situations, you know, where, where, where we're adopting a China-esque policy, you know, ostensibly to try to better compete with China. And I think, you know, in the United States, we do need to double down, not on not on Chinese policies, but on policies that have made us, um, you know, the, the the world's leader for years. And and right. and I do worry about us deviating too far um, from that market economy model that served us well. I mean, it's one thing to say, look, we need more research and development spending. We want public-private partnerships with universities. We got to give ourselves a leg up here. We got to coordinate better with allies. But I think some of these more prescriptive non-market oriented policies really bear um, deep consideration. Yep, that very solid point, obviously a bigger um, discussion to be had there. So pulling away from the legislation, Cleet, if I if I could ask you, because you already mentioned the Section 301 process and the state status of exclusions right now, can you give like a quick two minute update on where we are with Section 301 tariffs with China? Sure, well, I mean, the, I think as, as most listeners will know, we still got a lot of tariffs in place. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, roughly 365 billion um, under under tariffs, and you know the 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 majority of that at at 25 percent, but you know the the, the last list for a at seven and a half percent. and you know and and we don't have many exceptions in place. Um, basically, you know the the the, uh, the Trump administration, reasserted some exceptions for COVID-related products. Um, but other than that, you know, if, if you're on one of those lists, you're more or less paying tariffs. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, there, there's probably two conversations that are going to happen moving forward around tariffs. Uh, before I even talk about those two conversations, I will just say, I don't think anyone should expect broad-based tariff relief in the near term. Um, but I do think that there are paths 
to, to different kinds of tariff relief. You know, the, the, the first is, um, you know, on the exceptions themselves. You know, I do think that you're starting to hear more and more chatter from the Hill. Um, you're, you're hearing from companies who really can't get their product from anywhere else. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's an input in the in their manufacturing supply chain. Um, who are complaining about it? Who are who are lobbying their, their their members and and who are subsequently putting pressure on the administration? So I do think that there are going to be real efforts to re um, reinstate some sort of uh, exception process. And I could see this administration seeking to provide um, a, a range of exceptions. Where, where I think it's going to be harder is looking at the lists more broadly. You know what we call this one, two, three, and four A, um, which are you know various tranches of the tariffs that were put into place. You know I think it's I think it's a harder path to see any of those uh, rolled back. I do think this administration, from a political standpoint, but also from a leveraging standpoint, you know is not going to want to get rid of entire list of tariffs until China uh, makes additional commitments. Um, right. And I do think you're going to start to see more of a conversation on the Hill about hey. What about phase two? Do we want to look at that? And and do we want to try to do more in exchange for, uh, or do we want to try to get China to do more in exchange for, for rolling back some of those lists? And mm -hmm. I do think, even as I'm looking at the list of tariffs, um, I think folks who are trying to predict what's going to happen really need to distinguish between lists one and two and then lists three and four A. Um, mm -hmm. One and two were put in place really at the beginning of the um, of the Section 301 investigation, they're targeted at made in China 2025 products and products that the Trump administration felt were substitutable. List three and four A were put on later. Um, they they clearly are are more harmful to our economy. They hurt. Um, they they are less substitutable. Um, they're more consumer oriented or or manufacturing input oriented. And so I think that this administration could see those as slightly more expendable in a negotiation than the first two lists. Yep. Yep. Thank you for that, Clay. Thank you for the update and thank you for joining us. Obviously, there's a lot of information to cover on China policy moving forward. And um, if you have any questions uh, after uh, reviewing this podcast, please feel free to reach out. You can also discuss Cleet's thoughts here on our app where this podcast is also available that I hope you all will take advantage of. So thank you again. And thanks, Cleet, for joining us. It was my pleasure.